Welcome to Peeves' Gabfest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meeks. Today, we are starting our analysis of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Chapter 1, The Worst Birthday. This is about the first three minutes of the film. Before we start gabbing, we wanted to give a spoiler warning. We will be using our vast knowledge of the Wizarding World to compare the page to the screen, and we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So, you've been warned, Icklefirsties. But first, a message from the Daily Prophet. It's Quidditch season, and planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. We don't want anyone falling off their brooms from dehydration. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep during wood speeches, power through the game, and recover in the common room afterwards. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional potions. I have tried the grape... The sea berry and the cherry. And I would say sea berry and cherry are my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. I'll have to try the cherry. I haven't tried that one yet. I was kind of like hoping that was like the best one. So I'm saving it for last. Because <laughs> compared to lemon lime, I was like, I'm not sure if like that would be like a disappointment or something. So I'm hoping it's really good. Because it's the last it one. It is really good. And <laughs> I like how like saturated the flavor is of liquid IV. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel it's, all watery. It's right. It's very strong. Like the grape one was a really like powerful, like just flavor profile in like a big cup of water. Like I had I think it was like 40 ounce bottle and it didn't feel like diluted or watery at all. It just was like flavor. Bam! We're like, whoa. Yes, I agree. And I love a good flavorful water. Yes, I do too. Well, and it's nice if something's really flavor-packed, you know, just as is, because then you can always water it down per your taste rather than you having to, like, use double of the concentrate or something. Exactly. Well, one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than any other potion and comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Made with premium ingredients and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that Equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world and has partnered with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GABFEST to at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GABFEST at liquidiv.com.
Welcome back, listeners. Let's dive right into the first chapter of Chamber of Secrets, and we're reintroduced to the torment of the Dursleys. What did you guys think about the chapter compared to what we saw on screen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if laughing was like the best way to start, but my gosh, I don't... I had didn't remember this at all, to be honest. Like when I was reading it again, I was like going through it and being like, holy crap. I didn't realize it was this dark. And I yeah. was just freaking out inside going like, man, these guys are so, 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 so abusive to him right now. And it's yeah. all because they fear what he is and they fear like they don't like what he is and they're trying to like get rid of it. Or lock it up or hide it in a little corner and that influences like how they choose to react to them. But I just, I don't remember it being so bad. And I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like, I just, I, I had completely forgotten that they forced Harry to do all of that work during Mm -hmm. his birthday and like throughout the entire day. Of just before, like, the dinner guests showed up and stuff. And then, like, they fed him a measly little two pieces of bread and cheese and then sent him on the stairs to pretend like he doesn't exist. And so, like, oh, gosh, like, I just, I didn't know what else to feel but bad for the guy because, like, he was so happy. We left him at being so happy and so on top of the world. Yeah. To the point where he's super down like in the dumps and not in like he's worrying about the fact that his friends haven't written to him that nobody he's gotten like no inkling of what's going on in the outside world the connection that made him happy has basically been cut off for various reasons which we all know why but it's like that coupled with the fact that the dursleys physically emotionally and mentally abuse him because of what he is and who he is and why they and why they don't like it makes it for probably the worst worst summer he's probably ever had and it's kind of hard to see this this it's the worst birthday really but it's to see this kid who was very hopeful about things in book one even when he was with the dursleys at the very beginning like you compare the two he was always finding like the light now he's like not even attempting to do it and it's just kind of like a huge contrast Mm. between the two and you're like wow how is this even like how do you even like justify this in any single way or shape or form and i don't think you can yeah i mean i uh got the same impression of like how it's it's pretty shocking how how dark harry's time at the dursleys is and it it feels not dark because jk rowling writes it in such a way that it's so that it seems all lighthearted, and it is such a a, yeah like a caricature yeah um but definitely as an adult you realize like oh my goodness that's awful what he has to go through and so um i uh it's just really interesting rereading these books 
as I age, you know, just like at different points in my life, I get something different out of them every time I read them. And I think this is one of those things where like when I'm rereading the books now, I'm realizing how many like serious dark moments there are, even in book two, at the beginning of book two, you know, and um, it gets a lot darker (laughs) after this. And anyway, so there, yeah, there were just a lot of points where um, not only like the, the, vibe of it I guess was a lot darker uh, but just the world building that was missed in the films because they you know cut out stuff as they always do um, when they make a movie out of something and so a lot of these a lot of these details would have been um, cool to see but also dark I think you're exactly right on that like you compare this to the like the few minutes of the movie that is there and you're going uh what (laughs) you're kind of just like this is a lot calmer of a version than what i just read in the book (laughs) like i just compared it i'm like this is two completely different setups man this is not the same thing whatsoever like you have the same lines being fed through the through reactors but overall it is a completely different set of characters and a completely different environment because I had not gotten any of that. I just felt like the Dursleys from book one, to be honest, in the movie. Like, the the movie actors feel like they portrayed the same characters from the last movie. There was no progression. There was no, like, Dudley being scared of Harry. There was, like, mm-hmm. it was just, they took them, right. copy and pasted them, put them in the scene there. Whereas in the book, like, there's emotional development for all three characters, negative emotional development mind you but it was it was developed and their characters progressed in a way and you can tell by how they were interacting with harry and we didn't get any of that and it is a it is sad to see that we don't get to see that as much in the movie and one thing i wanted to point out when you talk about development is that dudley does remember Harry's birthday in the book he's like I know what day it is and he might he's teasing him but he does remember that it's his birthday and I think that's the first inkling we get that Dudley does or will eventually care yeah um, about him he's just been kind of trained to treat him poorly absolutely he's been groomed yeah exactly and that's um we just like you said skip through all of that kind of development for um both that Petunia and, and Vernon haven't changed but and the Dudley has all the mistreatment yeah and James um I like that point that you made about just in general how we miss the um the development that that the Dursleys have because there is development even with the um like we're only in book two you know at the beginning so it's, there hasn't been a ton of time but there definitely is a difference between how the dursleys act at the beginning of this book compared to how they act or acted i guess when we left them in the last book and so yeah they're just as usual flatter in the film and um not as much of a character depth going on um i don't think that it was like they it was poorly done necessarily when we'll get into more details no. with them. but yeah but there definitely was it's just missing, missing some depth. Well, like we always say, there's only so much a film can do. So if you're going to cut that, I mean, that's probably something I would choose 
just to cut the mistreatment of Harry, you know, yeah, to get into yeah. the more juicy stuff that's coming. Right. No, I'm not saying that cutting the mistreatment was a bad decision in any way, shape or form. Like I get that you were you're, you're aiming towards children, having them see an abusive household probably isn't your end goal in a movie. Right. Children. <laughs> right. So like the decision isn't, isn't based there. It's just that, when you know there's progression and from book one to book two for the characters, there should be some type of progression for the characters in book or from movie one to movie two. Right. And when I got the feeling that they were literally just the same character, like there was no growth. It was just there. Nothing changed. Their nephew just became a wizard and they treat they nothing like how they treat him hasn't changed at all. It just felt like it was yeah. the same Dursleys treating Harry like they did in book one. Like somebody who potentially could have had magic but didn't have magic uh, up until the point that they discovered that he did. And I would have liked to have a little bit more part maybe on the director side. Maybe it wasn't necessarily the actor's fault, but more on the director side of being like, you guys don't have a lot of time in this film but we need to see some progress with these characters what 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 would be their reaction to harry being a wizard now he who has gone to school for one entire year and now he's back for you with you guys for the summer like how how is that how are you be, how yeah. are you treating him how are you reacting around him and, and i to, think like, one of the best deadly, ex- sorry yeah one of the best deadly, ex- like react <laughs> So. Yeah, one of the best examples of what you're talking about is when um, he's like past the bacon and Harry says, what's the magic word? And they all just freak out. And that would have been a great example to put that into the film to show that they know that he's a wizard and he does he can use magic. And he's like, I meant, please, come on. Yeah, and like that wouldn't have taken that much time to do at exactly. all. Exactly. Like That would have probably been like a good... 30 seconds or a minute max. So we move on and Harry's doing all these chores and he ends up in the backyard and kind of just kind of reeling in the treatment that he's getting on his birthday and missing his friends. And he's kind of absentmindedly paying attention to the bushes. And then all of a sudden he sees a pair of eyes. Um, Again, this all happens in the book, not the film. And I'm kind of bummed that we didn't get to see just this tiny um teaser of what's to come although it does make sense because this first chapter is very cut down um so when would you have put this in there and i i I like how the movie introduces this this character coming up in the next chapter but just a lot this chapter was just thinned down a lot yeah and as usual they they thinned it down because it is, you know, it it can be considered fluffy stuff compared to the overall plot of the yeah. the story. So I do understand that um, decision, but it's just a bummer when they cut out this sort of stuff because this is like, it just makes all of the characters flatter the more that they do this, and it makes the the wizarding world itself flatter. So even though there's not a ton that's like plot heavy for this um, for this chapter. It's, I think, still important stuff to see, you know. Right. 
<clears throat> well, you say like cut, but like the lines were still there. <laughs> and so yeah, like they did that they did yeah. that cop out thing where they're like, Oh well we'll just throw the lines in to make sure that we're sticking to the book even though we're not actually doing that. So like it it, it if you read ahead, you you kinda get the idea that they're preparing for the dinner, but that's like the beginning of like the dinner is happening during chapter two. And so like chapter one is really just being meshed into chapter two uh, and having it, having the events happen, even though chapter one was an entire day, it was to represent his birthday and how his birthday happened. But like we start the film basically at the beginning of the end of the day. So it's Harry's birthday, but it's the end of the day. So like, it's just interesting to see that most of the portion was just like the physical aspects, but like the lines still made it into the movie as they were feeding it in to progress the story forward. Um, I do. Uh, I do overall think that this, that the scene of them like practicing how they're going to do the, um, the evening, um, the dinner I do think that they did a really good job of it in the movie that the people acting as the Dursleys, I think that they did a fantastic job. And I think it was really fun to see, especially like Petunia's acting chops, Dudley's acting chops while they were doing that. I think that was great. And baby Dan did a really good job of having like the very dull tone and like the dry responses when he's like, Oh, be in my room making no noise, pretending I don't exist. Like he did such a good job acting that. I love that you called him Baby Dan because as I was watching the scene, I I was remembering that you called him Baby Dan. And I'm like, because I was like, he looks older. Like I can tell the difference yeah. between year one and year two. And as I was watching, I said, I wonder if Meeks will still call him Baby Dan or or when we're going to stop calling him Baby Dan. I think <laughs> after this movie, he's no longer Baby Dan because I feel right. like all three, I feel like the trio really um, hit puberty. Yeah, um, between these two films. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were hitting puberty for sure, like, in this movie. But, like, the, the third movie, they all look uh, much older. So he's still baby Dan in my heart for this film. Um, but he is, he's aging, though. He's not, he's not a baby anymore. Nope, mm-hmm. none of them are. <laughs> I know. Um, and another thing that I thought was uh, interesting, and I wish that they had, kept it in i don't i wonder if they will even think about this for this show but um mentioned like jk rowling and you know the internal monologues in this chapter mentioning how harry really looks different from petunia in particular so even though like dudley and petunia are blood relatives of his like he looks so much different and i think that there's a lot of symbolism there and mm. so I would be, I'm curious if they're going to add any of that in. Cause I, you know, it's not really like, um, they don't really emphasize that a lot in the books necessarily that the emphasis is really on Harry looking like James, but having his mother's eyes like that, that keeps coming up. Yeah. And I think that's really cute. And I, I like that there's that sort of theme that keeps coming back or those specifics that keep coming back. But, I, but I think it's obvious when it's obviously when it's described, but also just in general i think it's made clear that harry does not resemble petunia in any way and obviously he doesn't resemble dudley either and so they just kind of i mean it's you know he doesn't look like them because he's not related to them in the films 
you know, like that none of them actually look like each other. But uh, but I'm curious if they're going to add that symbolism in into the show. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, something that I would have liked to maybe be expounded upon more was like an, a, an expansion of like the rehearsal of how the night would have gone. Like I really yeah. liked in the book, the repetitiveness of Harry's role, how they kind of yeah. like hammered that into mm-hmm. him. And I really wish like that point would have been made during like the film because like they could have just continued to add lines, um, having like Dudley and Petunia do their thing and then looking at Harry and going, what are you, what are you supposed to do? And he like repeats it. And then like, maybe like by the third time he's like, so over this and so over this thing that like his third response is like, I'll be in my room making no noise, pretending I don't exist. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could just, to- I could see all that happening and I just would like to like, maybe have that happen a little bit more. Just having the contrast between the breakfast and the dinner. Well, not the dinner, but the contrast between eating breakfast and then getting ready for the dinner. Um, And they could have done that in this. They could have had the whole owl screeching happen at breakfast and then reminding him that the Masons are coming over and then cut to seeing them. Petunia is doing the pie. Vernon and um, Dudley are in their suits. And yeah. I obviously we know that we can have more. I, I still think chapter one and two should probably be combined into the first episode. But oh, most definitely, definitely expanding on this chapter a little bit and just having how important this dinner is to Vernon. This being an hour episode, mm-hmm. like you totally could have this like both chapters be in an hour episode. Like the first chapter right. is like the first 30 minutes of the film and you get a really good taste of like Harry's world and Harry's reality and how he's feeling and get into that emotional trauma that's happening inside him right now. And then Dobby appears. Oh, spoiler mm-hmm. alert. <laughs> <laughs> Guess who appears guys? No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, like, uh, like to have it appear, to have the, have him appear and be like, oh, we're back in a magical world. Like, make the audience feel like, oh, this is the normal world. But then, like, oh, where's the magical world? Up, oh, it shows up on his bed. Boom! Like, we start exactly. doing seeing the magical stuff happening. Because you could really draw out the drudgery of the Muggle world in the first thirty minutes, and just like have all of that happening, and like no magical things are happening but then the last 30 minutes all the magical things are happening the owl coming in and everything that's like just going on and stuff but i'll save that for the second episode um i another thing that i want to see them do in the show is that the fighting between dudley and harry like the hedge scene when he's when harry's like looking at it and he's like i'm thinking about the best way to set it on fire um and just like in just in general there's so much more fighting that goes on with Dudley and Harry than what they show in the movies and they they give us a little taste of it usually like at the beginning of each movie they'll do like a little something to show like Dudley's mean but there's actually a lot of tension between Dudley and Harry and that that makes it um 
that builds up their relationship a lot more so than in the last book with the, you know what their um parting words are to each other and stuff like that it, it you just feel it a lot more because of all of this tension that they've built up and is showcased in the books a lot more and so in the movies we just don't really get that we just like know that dudley's mean but there's no there's no actual like character relationship building between the two of them and so just in this book i mean obviously we see a lot more in the first book because a lot more of the first book takes place at the dursleys but um i think we'll as we're slowly analyzing these books we're probably going to find that um happen a lot more than we even remembered from before but there's so much tension that's been building up between those two that gets taken out of the film so i really hope that they do keep in all the at least as many of these details as possible between harry and dudley's relationship because you know otherwise it just kind of takes away a lot of the meaning of their relationship when they're older yeah And then also Petunia tries to hit Harry in the head with a frying pan. <laughs> I can't, it's crazy. The poor kid. I know. <laughs> like that's intense. Way to swing that yeah. out of nowhere, Meeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, I said a lot in the last book when we were covering the last book how with this being a Max show, I the mistreatment from the Dursleys can really be adequately portrayed um and that's yeah. one of the things like it where in what world would you see a person trying to hit a child with a frying pan exactly filled with hot grease <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty it's wild well and the way that she writes it too is like that seems so silly but that's like a a really big deal <laughs> yeah for that to happen and so yeah she writes it in such a way where it seems kind of like Oh, old Petunia at it again. Right. <laughs> Hitting children on the head. <laughs> Which is, will be interesting to see how they do portray it on screen. Because as you're reading right. it, you're right. She writes it as a comedic trope. But mm -hmm. how are they going to portray that in the show? Right. And then. Question of the day. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Well, James, while Meigs is finding her notes for her lightning round, what else do you have? Anything else about this chapter? Well, I mean, I knew it was just going to be a basic chapter because as I was reading it, I kind of just went right into chapter two. I just right, didn't, same. Really, <laughs> didn't really like stop to contemplate any, it or anything. It kind of just felt natural to just go straight into chapter two which is really what I want to do uh, with this recording. <laughs> it's just kind of like move on to the next part. But then I keep forgetting, Oh wait, that that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> and the next part, it, the stuff that I really want to talk about is all in the next episode. So it's kind of yeah, exactly. Like, and that's why uh, I didn't really, and that's why I didn't really care how the movie did this chapter because it's so short anyway and it's like yes let's just get to the dobby stuff and let's just dive right in but you know when we do an analysis page to screen like this it is kind of jarring how much is still cut from such a short chapter we'll see i feel the opposite of you two not that i don't want to talk about chapter two or that i don't care about that adaptation but my notes <laughs> for chapter one is all Whoa. of this oh my this. gosh 
and then that's chapter two. Oh, oh my so gosh. <laughs> <laughs> because there was so much more taken out of chapter one than there was of chapter no, two. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. No, yeah, definitely. Um, but, okay, so <laughs> what I found um, that I put in my notes. So my first reaction, which I think is supposed to be the reaction when um, Aunt Petunia snaps at Harry to eat quickly and then points to two slices of bread and a lump of cheese on the kitchen table for Harry to eat really quick before he goes upstairs for the for the dinner that he's not supposed to be present at. And so at first I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, she just gives him a lump of cheese and some bread. Like, oh, so evil. Because that's what, how we're supposed to think. And then I'm like, wait, that's like what I eat for dinner all the time. I just know. like eating bread and cheese. She's that cracker, sounds- <laughs> Like Eating bread and cheese is like my dream. So actually that sounds wonderful. So anyways, I just, I laughed at that. <laughs> Because I was like, oh, wait, that's I eat chips and salsa or cheese and bread pretty regularly for my dinners. Um, So obviously, that's not what we should just like feed our children while we're giving our other children much better food. Yeah, there's no vegetables there. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think it comes down to like the perspective, like the perspective, like it's coming from the perspective of Harry, who would have loved probably something other than bread and cheese right like to a child like the of perspective course. is that this is terrible how how dare i like this is definitely not appealing whatsoever but like to an perspective of us like yeah like i would snack on that all the time like it's, but it's just it well and also it, of it. it's probably just two pieces of white bread and like a lump they, she describes it as a lump yeah. of cheese, which does not sound appealing. It's, you know, it's and probably not we're, my when life. we're having cheese and bread, we're having toasted French bread with sliced, <laughs> you know, brie cheese. I was going to say, it's probably not my smoked aged Gouda from Trader Joe's with my <laughs> French bread from the market. So. But yeah, she couldn't even take the time to make a grilled cheese. It's just probably soft you know, sandwich yeah. bread thrown yeah. on a plate with a, a lump of cheese. A lump of like, but yes. yeah. What kind of cheese? Okay. Okay. Question. First question of the book for our British listeners. Um, what, what is a lump of cheese? What kind of cheese does that mean? Because I would never, I don't even know like what kind of cheese would be a lump of cheese here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is yeah, it part of a block, block of or uh, yeah? How is cheese served? Um, because it could be soft cheese, and she just scooped it out and threw it on the plate. <laughs> or is it like a scoop of cottage cheese? Or yeah, like a oh, <laughs> I bet that would be even worse. A scoop of cottage <laughs> cheese with two slices of sandwich <laughs> bread is so bread. gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Karen, please. Please write in and tell us what a lump of cheese and two slices of bread means in this world. (laughs) We have to know. We have to. to. Something I do want to like maybe talk about before Ming's lightning round is um. I actually the fact that I covered all my covered all my notes. Oh, look at that! Well, you're gonna have to come up with one. (laughs) (laughs) I can. Um, but something I wanted to cover because I learned that I didn't even really like know this, but I learned that a lot of people who are introduced to the Harry Potter world started with the Chamber of Secrets and not the Sorcerer's Stone. 
And I was like, their first reading experience into the story was the second book. And because it, and and that was because the movie came out. So when the movie came out, they watched the movie and they were like, oh, this is so great. And they picked up the second book and started reading it. Uh, And that was their intro. And then they would go back and I'm sure like reread like the Sorcerer's Stone for to have like to read the entire series. But like their first introduction was into the Harry Potter world was watching the film and then reading the second book. Uh, so it it's definitely interesting because I will obviously I wasn't introduced it to like that way. I was introduced to it from like the very beginning. And I got to read it from beginning to end kind of scenario. And then the films got trickled in because I believe the seventh book came out a lot later once the films had started coming in. So um, like I got to I got to have the story progress as I was growing up, but I it just baffles my mind to kind of like say that you started the re- you started reading in the middle in in a sense instead of like at the very beginning kind of scenario. But well, and I think it's not too blasphemous uh, because the Sorcerer's Stone is probably one of the best adaptations of this series so it's not like you're missing yes we picked it apart last season if you will but you know going from movie one to book two i I, i'm fine i approve no points away from your house for that i'm not saying like that's a bad thing i'm just saying that that's an interesting thing that that's how how people were introduced to the to the to the world of harry potter is yeah, that whichever they, way gets you in the door. Is that they just they saw the movie and they're like, wow, this is really great. And then they just start jumping into the story. Like, I can't really imagine an experience like that where you kind of get a basis of what Book One was about by watching a two hour movie and then figuring out what happens to Harry the next year right after that by reading the book instead of waiting for the second movie right. to come out. Like Right. that that's such an interesting like idea but at the same time to me like it's a little baffling because like i got to progress with the story as it comes whereas other people weren't introduced to the world like i was they were introduced to the world through one of the movies or their friend said hey you should read this book and it was so happens to be like the third book of the series or whatever so it, it's interesting to see everybody's like beginning of this uh, beginning of the thing because you would you would naturally think that if you're going to start a series you would start at the beginning but yeah right. i guess it just didn't happen that way for everybody well and the um good thing about a series is authors tend to kind of reiterate what happened um for example she explains that Harry's not an ordinary kid and that's why they don't like him because he's a wizard. Um, So you kind of already know like something's happened in the past. That's why they don't like him. Um, But let's just go ahead and get into it. And he talks about how he has the friends and he misses them and they haven't talked to him. So you know that there's this whole, you know, background, but it's not besides the Voldemort stuff, um, not necessary to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all making such good points. Hmm. Speaking of points, 
Do we have any house points this episode? I don't think we've really needed to give any points out. So We're not far. really battling this time. <laughs> Why you want to give some points to Slytherin? No, what? That was awkward. <laughs> I have nothing to say. We we should have points taken away from. Traders. I mean, we should take points away because there's no lightning round. <laughs> Oh dang! Oh, oh my god! <laughs> Got called out by the Hufflepuff. Oh my goodness! Yeah. That was not very loyal, Sarah Day. <laughs> okay, I thought I thought you two would be proud of me for covering everything without the a lightning, lightning round. Is always fun. Me, but yeah, I'm I mean, I was, it's not a long chapter. There's not much to cover, to be no, honest. No, I know where you two stand now. Now I know where you <laughs> No, I am proud of you, Meigs. I am proud of you. I don't think you know, not having a lightning round is not that big of a deal. I would have not said takeaway points. I would have never said I would have never said takeaway points from Meigs for not having a lightning round. That would have never crossed my mind. I shouldn't have even asked about points. <laughs> We're still getting used to this point system. Here. I might be a loyal Hufflepuff, but I am competitive. <laughs> <laughs> so and maybe I'm, Sarah I'm Day has a little bit of Slytherin in her. Are they You're competitive? The Aren't yeah. they like the Gryffindors are the competitive ones? Yeah, but no, um, not really. I'm, well, I'm between Gryffindor and Slytherin, yeah, but like there, like there's that natural rivalry, but. The Slytherins are very well known for their competitiveness. Like they will always do whatever they need to to get to where hey, they want to go. You seem to know a lot about Slytherins. Uh, that's because I'm a Ravenclaw and I study everything. <laughs> uh, nice cover. <laughs> well, do you have any final comments, or James? Do you have a lightning round before we get into our peevesies? Oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not. All right. Well, without further ado, our very first, <laughs> a quick one. Our very first Peeves pleasure of the Chamber of Secrets. James, go. Uh, Peeves pleasure. This movie did a really good job of kind of like setting up setting up kind of like what happened with Harry and like how Harry's feeling and stuff and he's he, he's he, he's feeling a little bit defeated and, and you can kind of see that with Daniel Radcliffe's portrayal of the character he's kind of yeah you, when he says I will be in my room like you you believe him like he you believe that he's just done with all this he's done with being at the Dursleys he wants to go back to Hogwarts Nothing is going to stop him from going back to the place that he just adores, and uh, the you can you know the Dursleys did really like the acting chops. We don't get a lot of them in this movie. They did a really good job. Um, all three of them. I've said this before in book one, but like again in book two, they did a really good job. I just really just this time around, I really just didn't notice the there there was no progression on their part for. Uh, for the characters and it may not have been completely their fault this may it may have been like how it was written or how it was told to them by the director many different avenues could have led to how this was kind of uh, laid out but 
overall, like they they executed the lines well. They 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 really sold the idea of them wanting to make this dinner work so that they could get this deal uh, and that they could because they have goals and they and they have beliefs. You know, as uh, uh, pro, no, what's the word? Selfish as they are. Uh, to want to have this deal, like you could tell that it's really important to them. So, my piece pleasure is just uh, those three right off the bat. Um, my peeves pleasure is the way that, um, wait, where did I write it? The, the dinner preparation scene, just in general, I thought that they did a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. They could add more. They can always add yeah. details. But like, I think for the acting, it was really entertaining to watch and fun to see the Dursleys especially kind of open up because they're always so like rigid and structured and stuff. And so when they're in that scene, it's it's comical because they're like, they're freaking out and they're like acting different than they normally do. So, <laughs> yeah. I originally didn't have one, um, but... For the sake of the podcast, I wrote uh, – not that I didn't like it. Um, it's just that it's so short and they – you know, there's not much to talk about. I, I mean, we're only 40 minutes into our recording. So – and usually by the end of the chapter, we're already at over an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I wrote the costume design uh, because I really loved the contrast between how nice Petunia, Vernon, and Dudley look compared to like the sweats – that Harry is wearing. Oh yeah. And they're about to have this <laughs> it's a very nice obvious dinner. difference. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all it's like bright and then Vernon and Desley are in like bright like red ties and she's in a pink dress I think and then Harry's in so they're very like warm colors and then Harry's in blue and gray sweats so very cool colors and it's just a lot of contrast and I just like I think Meigs you mentioned earlier the symbolism um of the differences and stuff. And so yeah. that's one, that's one thing the movie did get right with that symbolism is the, the contrast between the way they look. Yeah. All that's right. A good point, yeah. I can accept that as a pleasure. <laughs> I was about to take points away from Sarah day for not having I pleasure. Know. Well, so I just, I changed that after we started talking so much, it was my Reasley salute. So now I have to come up with the Reasley salute. But once we started about talking about points, I'm like, Ooh, if I don't have a, a peeves pleasure, they're going to take points from me. I can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Losing point now. <laughs> Not me, because I came up with one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so peeves, peeve. What we did not like about the adaptation. So, I mean, you brought up a good point that this is kind of just a short, like in the movie in itself, it was such a short little thing that... There isn't really, you can't really pick and choose what you did like and what you didn't like because there wasn't really a lot of time to decide because then it took you right into chapter two uh, and finished off the scene mm-hmm. and the chapter in in that regard. But <clears throat> if I had to say that they didn't do something that I really wish that they did and was that should have been added into the film, I really wish that they had done a little bit more with the interactions between Harry and uh, and the family and like kind of explore that a little bit like how was living with the Dursleys for the summer like because 
he's been with them since the end of the school year, which was in August. No, sorry. In May, right? So, like, he's been all throughout June, all throughout July, because his birthday's on the 31st of July. So he's been with them for about almost eight weeks, if not a little bit more. Uh, like, how was this little interaction? Like, like give us a little bit more of what that would have looked like, and I would have been okay with it. Like, I, that breakfast scene, like, a whole minute tops. That would have taken not a lot of time to, like, put together a film and kind of see how it would react and like give us that opportunity of like them reacting to him saying magic or him like teasing like teasing that because we ended the movie the first movie with Hagrid saying well they don't know that do they but then we don't get any reaction like that at all from them in during the movie when they when they come back so Maybe a little bit more consistency is my peeve. Uh, wishing the adaptation had a little bit more consistency with what they decide uh, to do from one film to the next film would have been nice. But yeah, not too big of a deal. But at the same time, like it, it, it irks me a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much what my peeve is. Like, <laughs> you just you said it all, and I think that. Um, talking about it with consistent or in the context of consistency is a good way to put it too. Um, and so, yeah, I, I literally wrote for my peeve taking out everything in the film, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there was just most of this chapter didn't exist. And so I, um, I am peeved about it, not a little bit, but a lot peeved. Um, but I, I get why they had to take stuff out, but I'm peeved. Yeah. So I want it all back for the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely yeah I agree um, but I did write uh, the the no sneak peek of Dobby and like his eyes coming out of the bush um, and we get a little bit mm-hmm. of that um, like the sneak peeks of magic basically in the third book with Sirius Black um, coming and going throughout the, the chapters um, and that's those little things um are like magics um, leaking into the muggle world. And I like that because it reminds us that there's magic all around us and they're keeping it a secret from the muggles and stuff. So to take that out, it takes away that it, it makes it feel more like he's going through a portal to Hogwarts instead of it just being around us all the time. Mm. There's gotta be that contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Okay, and now it's time for the Weasley salute, which is a moment from the book or the films that we just really want to give light to. James? So, it may be a surprise or it may not be a surprise. Like, you, you know, take it as you will. But <sighs> my Weasley salute is going to be Harry's disappointment. Um,. I really love the idea of ending like ending the new series, the season one finale of him just being super happy, super excited to have done all of this stuff at Hogwarts and to have like this world that he belongs to and like to go back with the Dursleys with a smile on his face. Like I really love this idea. And then they just have that, all that just taken away. 
Uh, like just to the very beginning, Dursley's got home and they lo- to grab all of his stuff that he needs to do over the summer, throws it in the cupboard and says, no magic for a while you're here. You're, we're going to pretend like it never even happened. They're kind of going back into his things. Like I, I want that. I want that experience and I get that experience in the book, but I want to see that experience physically. I want to see Harry, which I mean, sounds weird when it comes out of my mouth, but I want to see Harry feel distraught. I want to see Harry feel defeated. I want to see Harry feel like there, there is no hope because I I want the effect of him not having received his letters the entire summer show on show show up on screen and show up on his face because he it's a severe contrast and it and it feeds into the rest of the book because it's as as we progress with this character throughout the rest of the book we get to experience harry's like mortal enemy and it's just a mortal enemy of himself and his belief in himself and him and wanting to do that. And the experiences he's going to have with Dobby influences that the experiences he has uh, with being spoiler alert, apostle mouth uh, feeds into that, like not knowing who his identity is. He's struggling with his identity. He's now okay with being a wizard, but now who is he as a person? And, he had these things, this world that helped him feel like he was finding his identity taken away from him for almost two months. And I want to be, I want to be able to see that go into detail of, of like, this is what happens when your dreams are taken away kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. So I love how the book did that. I think it was really written really well. So well that I completely forgot that it was so dark that when I read read it again, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. Like, how does J.K. Rowling write it this way? Like, just to be a little bit more comical and stuff like because it's it's not that is. Right. Oh, my goodness gracious. But at the same time, like it, it just accentuates the character growth even more for him because he does get he does get a lifeline out of there. It just takes a while for it to, to come into play. So uh, I really love that part of the book. I really want, I really love those moments where it feel like the situation feels hopeless, but then something happens and, and there's hope again. And that he, he gets to, he gets to feel that levity of, Oh yeah, everything is going to be fine. Uh, in the end, because I can actually pull through this kind of scenario. So um, if I can go before Migs, if you don't mind, because um, you said Harry's like depression, right? Um, mm-hmm. I wrote Harry's perseverance was my Weasley salute because, I mean, yes, he's down, but he's still, you know, he he mentions that he's wanted to break Hedwig out, but he hasn't. Um, because of the fear of breaking the rules, right? And so he's waiting and he's just, you know, a few more days until summer's over and I can go back to school and I can see them, even though he's sad. So it's just interesting how you and I took such different perspectives of how Harry's handling this. And we got to the same conclusion that there's hope at the end, but 
Um, I mean, I would have broken Hedwig out on day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a very interesting, like, little point. Um, perseverance versus depression. Like, I mean, I don't really even see why it couldn't be both. Um, no, yeah, because, it is. You know, human humans can be very complex, but at the same time, like, it's definitely interesting the the takeaways for sure. I like that. You're not going to freaking believe this, but my salute is Harry's resiliency. Oh my gosh! (laughs) I shouldn't have interrupted and gone first. No, that's okay. It made it more exciting. Um, Yeah, I think it's amazing how someone can have continually awful things happen to them. The person or the people that are supposed to be taking care of him are treating him terribly and have his entire life and just everything that he's had to go through. And he still turns out to be just such a good person, you know? And it's, yeah, I mean, there are so few times where he like does something that's quote unquote bad. Um, but he's, he's always like wanting to take care of the people around it because he understands how important it is to have solid friendships because he never had that. And so, you know, a lot of people have their dealt very bad cards early in life and they turn into bad people because of it. And then there are people who mm-hmm. are dealt bad cards and turn into wonderful people. And so, you know, it's every, every single book and every time that I read this series, I'm amazed at how resilient Harry is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is well, look at that. hilarious that we yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have not much else to talk about this chapter, to be honest. Um, but like to have it be three different like perspectives is pretty cool. Yeah. Too. yeah. So, yeah. Like, to to have like the same thing happen on paper, like you you can't change it. It's the way that it's written, it's it just showed how it is, but then have three different perspectives from the same situation the same event is pretty cool i'd love for some of our listeners to kind of analyze our answers or the views of harry for our salutes and our houses and like come up with like some sort of analysis as a thesis for me thank you (laughs) i would also love to know if um if anybody who is like the regular listeners if they all kind of going into the episode have their own ideas of the salutes and peeveses and pleasures and um, if anyone else has the same sort of feeling that the three of us had about Harry for this chapter. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Maybe that can be our Spotify poll. <laughs> um, before we sign off, though, I am so surprised, Meigs, that you did not bring up the fact that Vernon was like, do I look stupid to you? And then he has a piece of egg hanging from his mustache. I did. I obviously, obviously, I laugh at that every time, and I am actually surprised that I didn't write it down as one of my notes either. That would have been hilarious. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that has to be in the the show for your comedy, of right? Of course, it'll be in there. Although I will say that that's more um, like obvious slapstick kind of comedy. Not that it's not funny, but I definitely like the like the dry humor. Um, that I feel like baby Dan is really good at. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, thank you, listeners, for causing havoc with us today. Next time, we will be discussing Chapter 2, Dobby's Warning. This is about three minutes into the film to just over nine minutes of the film. James, where can our listeners find you? Go to James M. Beltran on Instagram or TikTok, and you can decide to follow me there, and I will have some content for you to look at there. And then you can find me on mainly on Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then you can find all my other projects from there. And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at Captain.McD. That's M-C-D-E-E. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at PeevesGabFest. Ickle Firsties, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave a five-star review. If you're mischievous as the three of us, please consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash peevesisgabfest. If you have any feedback, leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GABFEST or email us at peevesisgabfest at gmail.com. You can also join the discussion in our Facebook group. We have so much fun over there at facebook.com slash groups slash peevesisgabfest. Until next time, Nickel Firsties. Mischief managed. <laughs>